This is Financially Tuned with Michael Mansfield from The Lind Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With 10 years of experience in the financial industry, Michael provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here is Michael Mansfield to help you find out how to be financially tuned. Hello, and welcome to another week of Financially Tuned Radio. I'm your host, Michael Mansfield. I'm a certified financial planner with the Lind Group in Ventura, California. With me, my good friend, my co-host, Tony Shore. Tony, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Mike. Uh, It's great to be here with you. And uh, really looking forward to today's show. I know we were talking a little bit about it off air, and I know you have a lot of wisdom and uh, interesting topics to discuss. Uh, First, though, how are you? How's the Lynn Group? Have you been busy? Good. Life is always busy. You know, I, I always focus on my family and my personal life, though, and it that's been very busy this is the last week of school for my daughter for first grade so that's exciting but then you know opens up the oh boy what are we going to do all summer stuff so <laughs> you know it's ironic though because summers are some saturdays and summers are odd for me because i like to get up early and get stuff done but i try to most days take my daughter to school so i look forward to summers because when they don't have an alarm and they're not going to school i end up coming to work a lot earlier um, which is nice because it's just really nice and quiet. You can get a lot done and really reflect on the things you're working on. So I do ironically look forward to summers for my early morning working, which sounds odd. Well, no, actually that makes sense. And, and I can see that I look forward to summers for various reasons, but, uh, but that sounds like a good one. And, you know, kids, <laughs> the life changes, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure your schedule works for you and you feel good about it. And, boy with kids right. my uh, all my kids uh, finished their last week of school last week i have 3 and so it is a busy time now and you have to wonder okay what do we have planned for these kids for the summer uh but today's topic i i think you mentioned you wanted to talk about the uh, economy and the market today and what right. is going on with our economic <laughs> landscape out there well, and that's why I wanted to touch on it today is there's just I feel like there's so many moving parts right now. So many things going on with the political season, the Federal Reserve, the economy, the stock market. We've for some reason lately, I feel like there's just this flood of questions, flood, flood of thoughts of what people are asking about, what people are concerned about. Because in the last week or two, there's just been a lot of information coming out that's so interesting. Remember, let's go back to the beginning of the year. We had the worst stock market open in like 109 years. The market just crashed, crashed for, you know, six, seven weeks down into the middle of February. And in that process, everybody was screaming recession. Ah, it's a recession. It's all over. You know, everybody else on the radio was cheering. Woohoo! Look at that. We told you, you know, buy insurance products. The stock market's terrible. And then everything rebounded and it turned around. It came up quite a bit and very fast and got, you know, now we're positive for the year so far. And it's funny because a lot of the um, 
recessionary talk really deteriorated pretty quickly. And then as of lately, over the last few weeks, as the market's really plateaued, moved sideways, moved down a little bit, it's creeping back up in there. I always think about an article um, when they interviewed Jack Bogle, the, the founder and owner of Vanguard, that said, look, you can't follow the stock market, you follow economic news. If the economy is doing well, even if the stock market goes down, it will always come back to the mean. It always comes back to the average. So you always focus on the economy, stock market follows. And I thought that that was so true this year because as the market was crashing in the beginning of the year, the economic news coming out wasn't necessarily bad. It wasn't overwhelmingly exciting. It was a little more neutral. And so I thought, that's weird. The stock market's going down a lot harder than, than the economic data suggests that it should. And we kind of are entering another one of those periods again. You know, what's been happening lately? You know, last week they reported that uh, U.S. home sales prices were up 5.2% year over year. Well, geez, that sounds like a good thing. Yeah. You know, people are buying more and more homes. That doesn't sound like a recession necessarily. No. Now, that could be leading to something, but the idea is the consumer price index, how we judge inflation is up a little bit. The um the Federal Reserve actually, you know, Janet Yellen came out the other day. Janet's been yelling. <laughs> She's been yelling quite a bit, you know, and she she uh she had a lot to say in their last meeting and and what they focused on I guess if I was to quote her here, let's see, uh, blah, blah, blah. But speaking for myself, although the economic economy recently has been affected by a mix of countervailing forces, I see good reasons to expect that the positive forces supporting employment growth and higher inflation will continue to outweigh the negative ones. And everyone's like, what did, what did that just mean? Um, so really what that's reiterating for, uh, you know, as Janet Yellen's quote is it goes back to March. So in March, when the federal open market committee met, they talked about the state of the economy, economic news, economic data, and the expectation of federal, um, rate hikes, interest rate hikes. And in March, they had said that they would likely see two more rate hikes this year. And so her comments that just came out from the last meetings are really reinforcing that because there was a lot of noise, hey, a week or two ago when the jobs report comes out and there's uh, only 38,000 jobs or something created when they were expecting almost 170,000 or something that, oh my gosh, it's all over, bad economic data once again. But that's not necessarily true. You know, you're allowed to have one month of not ideal performance information. And that's what Ms. Yellen is saying is, hey, look, yeah, you're right. That was a bad report. Fair enough. But there's enough good economic data to really outweigh that, that one negative event. In addition to all of that, you know, that's been coming out economic data wise is, you know, last week they just reported the unemployment rate fell to 4.7% from 5%. People say, woohoo, that's so awesome. A lot of though, when you start reading into the numbers of why that happened, well, a large number of people left the workforce. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword on the way you evaluate sure. and use information. So there's just a lot going on lately. And once again, it plays to Jack Bogle's comments in the beginning of the year when the market was crashing is, look, if you follow the stock market, you're probably thinking about it wrong. If the stock market's going down, why is it going down? Is it going down because there's bad economic data? Is it going down because there's bad quarterly earnings coming in from publicly traded companies? 
Or is it going down because everybody's freaked out for some reason? Because those freak out moments tend to rebound pretty quickly, as they did in February. Sure. To kind of where sure. we're at and, now. And like freak out moments would include, oh, China's China's struggling, and then people freak out a little bit, and it affects our market. Or, yeah, or Greece or, is defaulting. Yeah, you know, or the presidential like election. We have two people that nobody wants, so the, the it might affect the market, right? Exactly. We go back to uh, spring 2015 when the stock market did its first big decline from hitting new highs. What happened? At first, they got back to Greece was defaulting on outstanding bonds, and then it turned into China. But Greece is an amazing beast. When you look at the actual numbers behind what Greece represents, Greece is something like has the economy of like the, the state of Oregon. So not a major impact on us. They only affect our import export business by less than 2%. Not a major impact on us. When you look at the total, total, total outstanding debt on Greece that everyone's freaked out about, it's somewhere like around $420 billion. Gosh, for the U.S. federal government, what, what, is, what is that? That's like a sneeze on a Tuesday. That's not that much money. Yeah, Apple could take care of that. Apple should buy Greece. They we could. solved a problem right there. Let's just stop the show right here. <laughs> um, you know, when you when you look at actually out of the outstanding debt in Greece, how much was held inside U.S. banks? So where's our real exposure in the U.S.? You know, last year it was something like fourteen billion dollars, pretty insignificant. So how is it that Greece can cause such a psychological huge decline in the market? You know, it's a catalyst. People see bad news. People think bad things are happening, and it it gets the herd mentality. They panic, and it panics. But then, when good economic data comes out, so when it crashes in the in the spring, and then we have kind of a flat summer as we did last summer, all of a sudden, first week of October, quarterly earnings come out, and the market skyrockets back up. And you say, oh, how is it suddenly Greece doesn't matter anymore, China doesn't matter anymore, and suddenly quarterly earnings are the only thing that matters? Yeah, you know. Yep. People are a little, you know, psychological with this stuff. So we look for those types of things and we say, hey, the markets go down and the markets go up. That might be news for some of the people listening. I don't know. But that's one of the things that we have to remember is they go up and they go down for a lot of different reasons. Well, hey, you know what? We need to take a quick commercial break and then we'll continue this discussion. How does that sound, Michael? Awesome. Awesome. Well, if anybody has any questions um, wants to give me some feedback, would like to set up a complimentary consultation to even discuss this stuff further. Heck, if anybody calls us today, I'll even give you a, a free copy of my book, The Wealth Puzzle. But give our office a call, 805-500-7035. You can visit us at thelindgroup.com. You can put in your information there. We can reach out to you, but would look would love to hear from anybody who's interested. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And listeners, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with Michael Mansfield of The Lynn Group here on Financially Tuned after this. Do you ever wish you had an owner's manual to help you address and plan for retirement? Well, now you do. The Wealth Puzzle of Fiduciary Guides to Proper Retirement Planning by Michael J. Mansfield from The Lynn Group. If you're like most of our clients, having access to a retirement roadmap 
could help ease the financial concerns and better prepare you for retirement. That is exactly why Michael decided to author his very own book. The Wealth Puzzle, a fiduciary's guide to proper retirement planning, will help give you the foundation you need for a successful retirement. Simply call 805-500-7035 or visit thelindgroup.com to receive your copy today. And welcome back to Financially Tuned. I'm your co-host, Tony Shore, but as always, our hero, Michael Mansfield. Our financial guru is on the show today from the Lynn Group. Michael, you've been talking to us about economic turbulence and the economic landscape. What's going on out there? We talked about uh, at the beginning yep. of the year, it was a very volatile market and it shot down and people panicked and uh, how Greece and just international incidents have affected the marketplace. But you might not be in a situation where you need to yell the sky is falling. And you talked about having a balanced portfolio. But the interest rates, of course, Janet Yellen, you said she said the interest rates need to probably go up at least a couple of bumps this year. But she said that last year and it didn't really end up happening, did it? <laughs> you got to realize they've been talking about raising interest rates since what 2011. Yeah. Ah, it's all over. The the bond bubble's about to burst. Doesn't mean that it's not going to happen and it's yeah. not going to happen over time, but it's certainly not happening nearly as quickly or as hard as everybody's been screaming about for years. Yeah. Good golly. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, in December when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates a quarter percent, what did it do? It did it did effectively nothing. It was more of a monumental, uh, you know, statement they're making that hey, we're not going to have zero interest rates forever, hooray! But but what is the point of rising interest rates? I mean, maybe that's a more interesting thought when it comes to Federal Reserve monetary policy. Because come on, let's all go back in time. We're going to rewind the clock to. Econ 101, you know, <laughs> uh -oh. in, in college. Does Economics anybody remember that? Open the book. What does the book say when it talks about monetary policy? Why on earth would the Federal Reserve start raising interest rates? And it's kind of an interesting thing because we would argue these days that the stock market, the investors, all perceptions of it are, are different than the reality of it. The point of rising interest rates is that things are going well. The economy is doing well. In fact, the economy is doing so well, the thought of rising interest rates is to slow the velocity of money, to slow the, the liquidity of money. If, rising, if rates go up, people borrow less money, which slows things down. So they're trying to curb the runaway train in a sense. Conversely, they lower interest rates when they're trying to stimulate the economy and saying, oh my gosh, you know, things are anemic, things are falling, we're, you know, whether this is a disinflation or recessionary period, whatever it may be, we want to lower rates, make it less expensive to borrow money, therefore people will borrow more money quicker and that will get the economy flowing. So interestingly enough, the talk of rising interest rates means that this brainstorm of geniuses sitting around a table at the Federal Reserve is seeing something that maybe a lot of people don't see. But I, sure. we like to think those are super smart people. Yeah, well, that, I hope so. That really understand the economy. Well, I was and told the there would be no math. So, well, well, <laughs> they've got to be smarter than I am. <laughs> it's true or false quizzes to get in there. Oh yeah. The, um, and so the idea is if they're talking about rising interest rates, 
to me, that's got to be a good indication of how the economy is doing on some level. You know, mm-hmm. let's be fair. Yeah. They're saying, hey, uh, unemployment's down. Home sales are up. You know, all this stuff is doing so well. Hooray. Um, whether that's true or not, you know, sight to be seen. When they start raising interest rates, sight to be seen. I mean, the one interesting thing is we're, we're pretty much the only major nation in the world that's talking about raising interest rates everywhere else. You know, they're cutting them and going negative and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, can you imagine? Wow. I know. It's 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 amazing. It's an interesting world we live in right now. But then again, you take all of this stuff and you squish it all together and you pull one other facet out and you say, well, wait a second, this is also an election year in the United States. Yes. You know, what what is what does that I mean? What what historical relevance does that have on our on our economy, on our stock market, how the things work? Everybody's heard the age-old adage, sell in May and go away. <laughs> you know, they, they say that, you know, oh, you sell in May, you, you miss out on the summer doldrums, and you buy back in in the fall when the stock market starts rallying again. I've heard that for years, all the time, a lot of different places. And it's kind of interesting because CNBC – which I'm, I'm a little bit of a CNBC addict. They put out a lot of different information that I really enjoy. But CNBC just let out an article <clears throat> titled, History Shows Stocks Rally During Presidential Elections. And it really, it focuses on that adage. It you know, talks about the whole idea of sell in May and go away. But then it says, between the close of May and the close of October, this is during election years, the S&P 500 has rallied 19 out of the last 22 election years. 86% of the time, the stock market is up in election years, and it's up an average of 6.2%. Now, does that mean the stock market's going up? You know, should we, should we get the rubber stamp guarantee thing on this? Obviously not. Who knows what's going to happen? But it's an interesting statistic because what it plays to is not whether – a certain political party makes it into office, what it's playing into is the expectation, the hope, the excitement of the idea of some type of economic improvement by a new candidate getting into office and shaking things up. So historically, this made October has been a pretty good time to stay invested. When you read further in that article on CNBC, which anybody can go look up, um, it talks about the volatility associated. There are big swings in the volatility. It seems that June was the most stable month, and then the Julys and Augusts were the most unstable in a sense. But the idea overall is, is this spark of hope for economic improvement really has pushed the, the stock market up 86% of the time you know, in the last 22 election years. That's pretty incredible. I thought that was an interesting statistic. Certainly, certainly, um, you know, doesn't play to the favor of everybody screaming death to the stock market, you know, all over the radio. Well, and it's just another interesting fact that things do seem to affect the market other than the performance of the company's stocks or the company's, Absolutely. The company's profit margin, which is what, you know, a company's profits for the year, which should drive stock prices for that particular company. However, we see investors actually influencing the stock market because of emotional investing. And those- I know, totally. Yeah. And so that's just a great point you just made with presidential elections. So 
Uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, to- totally interesting. Now, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. But, you know, a lot of a lot of investing is associated with 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 numbers and you know the concept of hey if the markets tend to do well in these types of situations that's a great thing and it's probably a very rather unique election year too just based on the 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 buzz associated with it but certainly not something we're going to get into over the radio yeah no no i think that's been uh, that's been covered <laughs> a, a, a little bit. That's being, a little bit. That's being we should covered. talk about the gorilla. Let's talk about the gorilla thing. Instead. Yeah, no, we're not going to. That could be more interesting. <laughs> we're not you know, going to talk interesting. about that either. <laughs> if, I, if I drill down on this article more, so remember, everyone, this was the history shows stock, stocks rally during presidential elections. So that's an article that came out on June 6th on CNBC. But another part is it, it delve even deeper that I thought was interesting. The article stated that GDP growth has averaged just 2.1% in the current expansion. So really since 09, when the market really came back, um, our GDP has only grown at 2.1% versus post-war expansion average of 4.1%. So our GDP growth is half almost of what it was historically in different time periods when the market came back. More interesting, this article stated that real U.S. median household income peaked in 1999 before working flat from 99 to 2007 and then has been trending uh, lower since 2014. Wow. You know, so so that's even scarier. You know, it, now you have this, this divergence in a sense of stock markets going straight up, median household incomes are falling. You, you know, th- things don't always work in a unison. And that becomes a big awareness when we're doing retirement planning because it's easy to talk about, oh, the stock market, the stock market. Well, hey, when you're young, what is the one thing when you come see me that we talk about? We talk about your your ability to save money. When you're young, look, there's no, even though my logo is a tree with, with money leaves on it, it doesn't mean we just, uh, you know, have magic seeds for you. You have to <laughs> save when you're young. Wait a minute. Your logo is promoting the fact that money grows on trees? Grows on, in a sense. The um, We might have to work on that. <laughs> Yeah, can we get the uh, the PR company on the phone? Yeah. The um, but the idea is you have to save when you're young. You have to work hard and put the money away and and dollar cost average and all these different things that we talk about. But wait a second, the stock market's been doing well. But then again, if income has been consistently falling for geez almost a decade now, that makes it increasingly more difficult to save. I would imagine, right? The you know less well, income. More cost of food, more cost of everything, more cost that's, that's of healthcare, a, especially, and oh my gosh, and low interest rates on top of it make it a, it's a that's the perfect storm. I, I say that is where you don't want to talk doom and gloom, but boy, you know, to save for retirement, it's it's hard right now. One more thought I wanted to just bring up because I know we're running out of time here pretty quickly, is um. I love research. I love reading. I love information. I love looking at articles. It's kind of my passion. It's certainly what I enjoy doing. And for, you know, well over a decade, you know, someone I've always followed and read about was was the economist Harry Dent. And as of lately, it just I feel like for whatever reason, every time I turn on the radio, I'm, I'm hearing people talking about Harry Dent. Um, 
and it's kind of interesting because he's a, a well-known award-winning economist, does a lot of research, gives a lot of information. He, I, I think his website's dentresearch.com. And the way that his information is being used, I thought, you know, it, it's relevant because he does talk a lot of doom and gloom in a sense, but it's being played to the doom and gloom. Harry Dent says, you know, just go buy insurance products, go buy a fixed annuity or fixed index annuity or something like that. Get out of the stock market. It's all over. It's all crazy. It's all lost. And so, you know, I thought, you know, I haven't read about Harry Dent as of lately. I'm going to pull some research on Harry Dent and see what he's up to lately. And anybody can Google this. So Dent Research puts out a, a boom or bust um, newsletter article, and it's one that's called 12 Steps to Survive and Prosper in the Winter Season. So obviously when things aren't looking so hot. And it's fun, interesting because he has a 12-step guide very specifically laid out. So this is something anyone can pull off of the Internet. And and I was reading it trying to think about, geez, I didn't realize Harry Dent was a um, – was a insurance, you know, fixed annuity pusher. And as you read it, I mean, anyone can go in and read the details. I've only got a minute, so I got to do the highlight reel here real quick. But like step two says, hey, uh, the Dow is over 18,000. So this was, you know, written last year when the Dow was at 18,000. Bet on the U.S. dollar against rising over the other major global currencies as it did in the crisis of 08. The ETF UUP is one way to do that. Well, that's interesting. So we're talking about purchasing ETFs versus buying insurance products. Uh, step three, allocated percentage of your portfolio in the 30-year treasury bonds if yields rise above 3.8%. Well, that's weird. Now we're talking about buying bonds instead of buying fixed annuity products. I thought you know, there was a, a direct correlation to his research and that type of an investment, which it appears there's not. Step five, look to invest in Asian stocks focused in India and Southeast Asia after the next crash. Step six, look at adding healthcare stocks to your portfolio, especially biotech, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, health and wellness companies. Step nine, maximize your 401k and matching contributions. Say, well, hey, Tony, that's what we just talked about. Woohoo. Um, step 10 does mention annuities. It says buy annuities and variable universal life policies. And it talks about using, you know, variable annuities, which, you know, we're personally against. And ironically, most of the other people that are talking about Harry Dent research are totally against yet. This is what he's advocating. And then step 12, invest in Asia, Latin America, Middle Eastern, African, U.S. stocks and commodities, including gold and silver. So that's a huge highlight reel to a, a much longer article that everybody I would encourage to go out and read. But but the point I was wanted to make with it was we all have a tendency of disseminating information in a way that benefits us. And the reality is is you want to work with someone that's very well-rounded, has the opportunity to help you work with a lot of different types of investments. That way they can see what suits your situation, see what suits your concerns, build a proper retirement plan, look at your expenses, look at your needed income, look at what the income gap is, build a portfolio that covers obviously green money for income planning, red money for long-term growth and inflation. If you do that, you will be okay. If you're not working with somebody that is not doing that for you, please call me, 805-500-7035. That's our office number. You can reach us on our website, thelindgroup.com. We'd be more than happy to help you and show you our process to make sure that you have a properly formatted financial retirement income plan. But once again, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Financially Tuned. 
Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Michael Mansfield at The Lind Group. Call 805-500-7035 or visit their website at financiallytunedradio.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Michael Mansfield and the Lind Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. 